Are we being discipled more by other sources than we are by our churches uh, in some ways? Uh, and to be joyful and hopeful as a Christian is not to deny one single terrible thing that's happening in the world around us. It's just to look at all of that and still say, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And welcome once again to another edition of Footnotes. Pastor Mark here, and today I am joined with royalty. It is <laughs> the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Ladies and gentlemen, Bar Barber is with us today on Footnotes. Thank you so much, Mark. It's great to be here. Yes, so I feel like, uh, I just have to preface this, you are the president of all the Southern Baptist in America or the world or the universe? How do you define that? So I, I will preside over a meeting of Southern Baptists in June in Indianapolis uh, that uh, will consist of probably somewhere around 15,000 uh, people who are messengers who are sent by their churches. And how many churches, roughly? There are roughly uh, 40,000, 45,000 churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. Wow. So that's millions of people mm -hmm. spread out, mm -hmm. and you're the representative that is leading the charge and going forward. So it's so awesome to have you here. Bart. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So we're, uh, we're going to just frame our discussion today around three questions. Number one, I just want to talk about how you became president of the Southern Baptist Convention. It's a pretty big uh, role, and there's been some great men of God in the past that have filled that role, like Charles Stanley and Adrian Rogers and uh, who else? Uh, W.A. Criswell. Uh, and now Bart Barber, my friend. And so just want to talk about how you uh, got into that position, a little bit of who you are. Secondly, I'd like for us to talk about what are the major issues facing the convention today. There's lots of things that are said and spoken about, but you're in a position of some authority where you can say, well, let me tell you what the issues are and what we're facing. And then finally, just to give you the opportunity, what would you want fellow Southern Baptist, fellow church people to know in the days that we're living in from the, the vantage point that you have? So super excited to get into those questions. So Bart, yeah. let, let's start here, uh, how you became president. Now, let me tell our, our listening audience which consists of like one or two people. No, I'm just kidding. My mother being one of them, and she's not even alive anymore. But uh, let's uh, let's just kind of frame this. You and I met years ago, mm -hmm. and we met in Texas right? as we were doing some work together conventionally, associationally. And from that, we realized we had a lot of things in common. I had pastored in Harrisburg, Arkansas. You were from Lake City, Arkansas. Right. We recently have found out we have lots of other connections together. Mm -hmm. Harold Ray was one of our DOMs back in the day. Uh, I went to school with your brother-in-law. Uh, and, and so as we just made these connections uh, over the years, uh, God brought us together. Mm -hmm. Then something amazing happened in Anaheim, California, uh, what, a year and a half ago? Uh, it's been, yes, a year and nine months. Yeah, I, my friend from Texas, 
who pastors First Baptist Church Farmersville, Texas. His name was put forward to be president of the convention. And I thought, wait, the Bart Barber I know (laughs) is going to be the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And of course, I say that with all due respect. Um, You're a perfect guy for it. But again, Adrian Rogers had held this position. Uh, Steve Gaines, J.D. Greer. I mean, those pretty big names Mm -hmm. that have been historically throughout the Southern Baptist work. And now Bart Barber. So I was so impressed when my mother passed away in the summer of 22. I get a phone call and I see Bart Barber. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention now. And what is he calling me for? And you said, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I saw that your mother passed away. Uh, I had your cell phone number and I just wanted to reach out. And I thought... That is so gracious. And I remember telling you, because you were getting ready to do your 60 Minutes interview. Right. Was that the interview with Anderson Cooper? Yes. That we were talking about at lunch? And I said, Bart, I need to be praying for you. How can I pray for you? Because you're about to represent a lot of views that are not popular, and you're going to do it on national television. And so I just remember we had that great camaraderie, and I said to you, hey, if you're ever in this area— Stop by and let's fellowship. And so here you are. Here we are. Here yeah. we are. Yeah. So so kind of give us a little background, who you are, how you got to this place of being president of the convention. Well, there's only one pathway really to involvement with the Southern Baptist Convention, and that's Southern Baptist local churches. And um, so I'm from Lake City, which is not that far from here. And you may have some folks here who know about Lake City, Arkansas. Uh, but they could be excused for not knowing. Uh, one of our pastors said that it's the greatest lie since Greenland uh, because there's no lake and it's not a city, uh, but it's, it sits on sort of a wide spot, St. Francis River, just east of Jonesboro, Arkansas. And we went to a very small country church outside of Lake City, uh, Bethabra Baptist Church, that's in some area between... Lake City and Black Oak, Arkansas, that you're familiar with, oh, yeah. another connection. Preached and, a revival there. Yeah, and, and Monette, Arkansas, out in the country. And my my mom's dad, Papa Doc, was one of the deacons there, and uh, it's a church that was like family and a Southern Baptist church. I, I grew up um, listening to, to good gospel preaching, uh, came to know the Lord very early, um, spent Every every Sunday that my mind wandered during the sermon, uh, my eyes would wander over to the big uh, uh, John Newton Brown church covenant, uh, having been led, as we believe, by the Holy Spirit, yes. that, that church covenant that was written uh, to go with the New Hampshire Baptist Confession. Uh, I, I grew up, it was in enormous letters on this giant framed poster on the wall of the sanctuary and i grew up looking over to read that and then reading the scriptures and then hearing the the word of god preached and um and so i uh, i came to faith in christ when i was almost six years old which is really young and god called me to preach when i was 11 and uh i preached in small churches in northeast arkansas uh throughout i, I preached my first um sermon in Michigan on a mission trip that our church had gone to and then 
Uh, that was when I was 15, and I preached some when I was 16. I took a uh, pastor at a little church out in the country in Black Oak uh, when I was a senior in high school and then went off to school. And, 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 I've, and I've been Southern Baptist since then, uh, all the way through, and have benefited from just about everything that the Southern Baptist Convention does. Uh, I'm I'm educated at Southern at a Southern Baptist Seminary, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, I have taught as an adjunct for that seminary. I have been on mission trips with IMB missionaries. Uh, we have partnered to plant NAM church plants. Um, and just in every way, and we've gone to the annual meeting for years and years, and I've, I've, I grew to care about the Southern Baptist Convention, about the, the things that we were doing. Um, I, I went to a school for my undergraduate. I went to Baylor University, uh, a school where uh, a lot of the things that the conservative resurgence of the Southern Baptist Convention reacted against, I saw firsthand. And uh, so, you know, I'm just old enough that sometimes people who are younger will say, well, was there really a problem? And I can say, yes, I, I saw it. I experienced it in the classroom. Um, and so all of my experiences through life have oriented me toward uh, love and appreciation for the Southern Baptist Convention as it now stands. Uh, when I did my Ph.D., I did it in Baptist history and with an emphasis on Southern Baptist history. Uh, so I'm somebody who cares a lot about the SBC, have had opinions about things in the SBC over the course of the years, uh, but never thought that I would be president of the Southern Baptist Convention because um, I don't think I live in the same league as Adrian Rogers and W.A. Criswell and Charles Stanley and, uh, and other people like that who have been, Steve Gaines, who have been presidents of the SBC. Uh, I serve a small church. Uh, well, okay, nobody in Craighead County would call the church that I serve at a small church <laughs> uh, because we run 300 and something uh, on average uh, for our Sunday school attendance. And that wouldn't be a particularly big church in Memphis, but it's the biggest church I've ever been a part of my whole life. And... Um, and it's and it's a uh, for for the aver the average Southern Baptist church is fewer than hundred people, and so um, so it's not a particularly small church, but it's way smaller than the size church that you would normally have an SBC president come from. Well, and isn't that kind of the remarkable thing? Uh, at least I believe about your presidency, you are the average pastor's president, and this is not in any way to slight the men who historically have been bigger and before you, but, you know, they were men who were at mega churches, untouchable for people like me and people like you. And it's so refreshing in this age of media and, and Facebook and Twitter and all the problems that come with that to see just a down-home guy get elected to the highest office you're not at a mega church you're at first baptist church farmersville and i remember when i first met you 
gosh, what year was that? 2010, maybe? Nine? It was right around that time yeah. frame. Um, when, when I first met you, you, the first thing out of your mouth when you introduced yourself, you said, and that sounds exactly like where I'm at, First Baptist <laughs> Farmersville. Yeah. The name is a very accurate description of the church. Yeah. You're just sweet people yeah. in the glorious state of Texas. Yes. I live there. I know. Yeah. And you have cows. I do. And you crack everybody up with your, you've named all your cows after historic Southern Baptist. Right. So real quick, you had uh, the cow Lottie Moon yeah. or Lottie yeah. Moo. Uh, well, no, it's it's the N is on the end of the moo. So I always say Lottie Moon. Okay, so you I, have Lottie I, Moon. Yes. And then you have, who, who's the other one you're going to? So I've got a, a calf out of this year's calf crop who was born on Good Friday, you know, right before Easter. So I named her Annie Farmstrong. Okay, after Annie Armstrong. After Annie Armstrong, and what yeah. was the one named after Billy Graham? Yeah, Bully Graham. That was my bull. Uh, but he died, uh, which was really tragic. And so did Billy and so Graham. did Billy Graham. That's true. Yeah. That's true. So I'm gonna have to get another bull. And I'm thinking, I, after a suggestion somebody gave me, I'm thinking that maybe I'll name the next bull uh, George Beverly Shea uh, yeah. after George Beverly Shea. Uh, and then Lottie, who's well, she's a really she's a really high performing cow. And uh, her calf this year, we named Cookie after those tea cakes. Lottie Moon baked sweets to give to to uh, Chinese children to try to share the gospel with them. So we oh, have wow. a so we yeah. have a calf. Lottie Moon's calf is named after that that Lottie did. And uh, yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of fun. I I never thought I enjoy doing that stuff. Um, and really, I'd had some people ask several times, "Hey, why don't you?" Why don't you be president of the SBC? Why don't you run? And I had always said no, and for a lot of reasons. Um, one, I, I really didn't think it was possible that I would get very many votes. And two, um, I just, um, I, I have teenage kids. Uh, it's a difficult time in life to be taking something like that on. And then also just the, the, um, the, the climate, the health condition of our culture today mm. is such that if you hold any position, people are going to go after you with fangs out uh, online uh, and and even in some print media and whatever. And I thought, you know, I could probably have a better, larger influence just as a pastor of a church in the Southern Baptist Convention trying to offer some insight into things then if i become president suddenly everybody wants something from me and it's and it's it'll change things uh, but god had a different idea and uh, circumstances opened up in 2022 uh, where uh, i just uh, having prayed about it i just believed that southern baptists deserved more choices than the choices that they had and I agreed to put my name in. And uh, for anybody who's wondering how I wound up, you said, tell us how you became Southern Baptist president. Those are some of the narrative details. But really, uh, after the election, I looked at Tracy as we got ready to go on the stage and for them to present us. as the. And I said, how did we get here? Uh, and so um, I don't really know I, uh, other than to say that uh, uh, a sovereign God surprises people. So uh, you put your name in the hat. Is that what you're saying? So, I mean, the way this works is that somebody nominates you, but people ask you, will you let me do that? And uh, 
And in response to people who said, will you let me do that? I, okay. I finally said, you okay. Said yes. Okay. So, yeah. yes, it was a little bit more formal process. Your yeah. name was on the ballot with pretty big names. I'm trying mm-hmm. to remember. Do you remember who you were up sure. against? So Tom Askell was yeah, running. Very big year. name. Very, very well known. Uh, uh, very, very, uh, very smart, articulate intellectual guy who has uh started a movement called the founders movement yep, i was gonna very, say i've, I've heard that's, tom that's, that's grown uh, live, well. yeah. he's, he's an accomplished author um and then uh there were also some other people uh, there's a guy named robin hadaway who was a missions professor at midwestern baptist theological seminary and then uh, at the very last minute a man named frank cox who's been a long-term leader in the sbc um offered his name uh, just in the last couple of days before the convention met to vote in Anaheim, California. So there were four people who were in that in that race. And there had been a very contentious issue in the presidency prior to that. Mm-hmm. And there were allegations that the sitting president at that time had, had committed plagiarism in some matters. And so he, here it just kind of seemed right you know, you guys are, are net, that president said, I'm not going to run again. Right. And so it was wide open. And it, it kind of reminds me, if I may, because I love to study presidential history. You know, people often say, how did Jimmy Carter get elected president from Plains, Georgia? But the answer is Watergate. Yeah. You had this horrible season of Watergate with Nixon's resignation and Gerald Ford pardoned Nixon and that pardon while historians look back and say that was the best thing for America, it was the worst thing politically for Ford, who literally wrote his death sentence when he did it. And so it, it opened the way for this no name to come from nowhere, Georgia, and, and take the highest office of the land. Somewhat in comparison, I think about here you are in the middle of this this SBC scandal, right? There's the scandal of plagiarism, and there's a bunch of woke critical race theory stuff that's surrounding the convention that when we were in Nashville uh, the year before there was the uh, contentious resolution nine yeah Yeah. resolution nine all this stuff going on and the guidepost report came out while we were in anaheim or right before that and that was the sexual sexual abuse abuse investigation yeah investigation yeah it was just contentious yeah and we get to Anaheim, and it's like the people are saying, okay, we've been through all that. We need somebody normal to be <laughs> you, you probably wouldn't describe yourself as normal. I was about normal. to say, I don't we, know. We just, they... we just need a, a regular, can a regular pastor really be our figurehead, our leader? And I think it's phenomenal, too, because, again, you know, I remember you posting years and years and years ago how you thought the convention had almost maybe come to a place where – the average guy couldn't be the past the uh, president because it would almost take the budget of a mega church and the freedom that comes with being a mega church pastor you know you're not going to every hospital visit and you're not uh you're, you're not being there at every funeral when you're a mega church pastor you've got 40 other guys maybe under you doing that not to say you wouldn't do it but it, it's not like you and me we're talking about this at lunch. I mean, we're making decisions every day. Do I go to that hospital visit? Do I 
you know, what, what do I do? How far do I go? Do I go here? Do I go there? You, of course, much more than somebody like me because you're in this position. So you, you thought years ago, I don't even know if it's possible. And yet here you are and you've proven that it is possible as, as the, the sitting president. Just really quick, um, describe some of those challenges because this is not a paid position. Right. And I don't think people realize that. You don't get paid. In right. fact, somebody asked me yesterday, and they asked this in all seriousness. They said, now when he pulls up, is there going to be like uh, an entourage or something? I mean, I think they thought, you know, you would arrive in Sunday School 1, you know, <laughs> which is an airplane with pews. And, you know, we would we would play Onward Christian Soldier as you marched in the door. Uh, but this person just honestly asked, now, will there be some kind of honorage? I looked out my window today when you pulled up, and I saw a white Ford F-250 full of mud. And I said, that's him. Yeah, an old the, dirty farm truck that yeah. I disembarked from and walked in. Because that's very much Texas. Yeah. And I thought, that's him right there. And you just got out with your cowboy boots and your your uh, blue denim shirt on and you know you're all by yourself and so people might have this image oh well you're this president of thousands of churches you're their representative and you've you've been on 60 minutes and you've talked with anderson cooper and you've represented all these major issues so there must be a lot that goes with that your job is pastor of first baptist farmersville yeah that's the only thing that pays me and they graciously have allowed you for two years Mm -hmm to do all these extra things that you just do for free mm-hmm. and you don't get a budget to do this that's the story of the entirety of the southern baptist convention from the beginning in 1845 all the way until now is that local churches make sacrifices whether through their giving or through their allowing people in their churches to serve like fbc farmersville has allowed me to serve because they believe in and care about the things that Southern Baptists are doing together. And so I'm so proud of FBC Farmersville. They mm-hmm. have uh, they have really risen to the occasion and have done have have done amazing things and I think that the that the people from FBC Farmersville that church was started in 1865 and so I think there are generations before us who stood by the Southern Baptist Convention in difficult trying times of the convention's history who have to be looking approvingly at the way that my church members have uh, continued to pay me, although they see very little of me except on Sundays, uh, and have done that because they want to support the work of the convention. So real quick, as we talk about how you got to this place and all that's involved with that, what are some things you do as the president? If somebody's listening to this and go, I didn't even know the Southern Baptist had a president, yeah. I thought they had a pope. But if, if they didn't know that, okay, you're not the pope, you're the president. What exactly are some things you would do? So the Southern Baptist Convention, because it's Baptist, is is distrustful of centralized power. And we have a deliberately weak president. And um, there, are, um, there are really just a few. There are constitutional duties. Then there are sort of informal duties. And... Um, I'll go through some of those. Constitutionally, I preside over the meeting. That is the, the largest job and very, very important one. Uh, it's my job to make sure when 
15,000, 16,000 people come from local churches like Broadway Baptist Church uh, in order to help us make decisions in our meeting. It's my job to make sure that the rights of all of those messengers are protected in the processes as they unfold. Um, a messenger can come from Broadway Baptist Church or from Bethabra Baptist Church in Lake City or from uh, Kelty's First Baptist Church in Lufkin or from wherever. And, um, and, and whoever they are and wherever they came from, they can walk up to a microphone and they can make a motion or they can offer their opinion about a motion that's before the body uh, or raise a point of order and say that I did it wrong. Uh, and it's my job to make sure that that meeting is conducted in a way that is orderly, that defends everyone's rights, and that leads us to make decisions that resolve questions that can be contentious or uh, can just be problematic, maybe not contentious, but it's just to solve a problem that has arisen that everybody agrees what to do. Uh, but it's my job to try to make sure that that meeting works to do what it's designed to do, to, to resolve conflict and answer questions in the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, the other constitutional things that I do mostly consist of uh, appointing people to serve on committees. So I have to, especially this time of year, I have to call people quite a bit on the phone and say, uh, hey, I need somebody representing the state of Indiana to serve on a committee on committees and your name was recommended by your state executive director or from someone else and I'm just checking to see if you're available to come to Indianapolis and serve on this committee and perform this job. So there are four committees that I appoint. One's the uh, most Baptist ever, the Committee on Committees. Uh, a second one is the Committee on Resolutions. Uh, a third one is the Registration Committee that helps uh, make sure that people who come to bring messengers are qualified to bring messengers and to help them get their credentials and their ballots to be able to vote. And then the Tellers Committee that counts votes whenever we turn votes in on those ballots. And um, so so I preside over the meeting, I appoint those committees, and then the, the informal duties of the presidency, um, every president sort of invents to some degree along the way. Uh, sometimes people want somebody to show up at something to represent the SBC. Uh, the Constitution does suggest that the president or someone he designates should attend other Baptist bodies. So I went to the meeting of the National Baptist Convention, uh, which is a predominantly black Baptist convention. Uh, they met in Kansas City, and I attended that. And, um, you know, and I've, I've, I've preached at our seminaries, and I've um, attended meetings for several of our entities, and, and, um, and I show up at funerals sometimes. And sometimes I call a pastor and South Haven, Mississippi, when his <laughs> mom passed away, and You're very kind, uh, and so uh, just just some of those informal things that you would expect a pastor to have some bent toward doing anyway. Um, and beyond that, uh, the president of the convention, I have to attend. I have to attend. I'm an automatic member of the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. I have to attend those meetings, and um, and and that's really about it. 
Yeah. So you've you do you've done a lot in these last uh, almost two years. It'll be two years in in June. You just got finished with a conference where you were with Al Mohler and you were with uh, who else? JD, J.D. Greer, Greer, Clint Presley, yeah. and and several other people. Yeah. Is Al Mohler a robot? That's the rumor <laughs> that he's so smart he's got to be a robot. You believe well, that? You I can tell, tell you, me. I don't think we've made robots that smart yet. Okay. Uh, I think he would have to be a creation of God. He's such an intelligent man. I, yesterday he went first, and uh, somebody asking a question uh, quoted a, a Catholic scholar, John a Cardinal, John Henry Cardinal Newman, and they quoted that to him to ask a question, and he replied by quoting back uh, Cardinal Newman. Uh, in a, a totally different quote from him that, to to give his answer. And I got up after that and I said, if y'all are looking for people who can quote Cardinal Newman from memory, you got the wrong Southern Baptist here. I'm mm-hmm. not going to be able to do that. But Dr. Moeller is so intelligent and is, uh, uh, but, but is also um, not at all robotic because he's such a, a warm and kind man. No, and yeah, I'm kidding. I, I, the, I know. The, the, people the, say yeah, that. They always they, say that. They, that's the rumor because when, he knows. When the his, briefing shuts down, they say he's down for maintenance. Yeah, uh, you because know. I'm telling you, the guy, I've, I've had lunch with him yeah. one time in Texas, name dropping. No, um, mm-hmm. I had lunch with him, and he has a mind that is... Uh, a superior rating brain. It is. And the joke is he's got to be a robot. So yeah. when you look at AL, Al, it could almost, <laughs> if you just put a dot at the top, AI, <laughs> right? I think we've found the Southern Baptist conspiracy, don't <laughs> There you? it is. He's AI. Uh, anyway, yeah. I, but, have, I did not really know him before I was elected. And I have grown to love him. I really have. Oh, he's phenomenal. I'm so thankful yeah. that he's at Southern, and I'm yeah. th- thankful for his leadership and uh, great things out of him. So you you do a lot of things like that. You represent these churches. They come together. They vote and make resolutions on where money is going to be spent, where missions is going to be conducted. So it's not just formality. I mean, this is really the ministry that we come together to cooperate with and for. Now, let's move to this. Being president of the convention, you've had to represent us nationally. And this leads us into our second point. What are what are the issues facing the convention today? And we've already talked about how you immediately took charge of your position and had to go on television. And tell us a little bit about that, because I was fascinated to hear you talk about how uh, Anderson Cooper came down to your church and interviewed you for six hours for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. But you're put on the spot because you've got to know how to answer all these questions that are cultural, that are surrounding us. So what would you say, tell us a little bit about that, and then what would you say are those issues that you found yourself confronted with? So I want to say that there are two categories, at least, of issues that face the Southern Baptist Convention at any time, not just now, but at any time. I think we can generally put them in two buckets. There are issues that come into the Southern Baptist Convention from the culture around us, and there are issues that arise from within the Southern Baptist Convention related to our convictions and beliefs. And 
the internal questions that we have about what we believe about our convictions as Baptists and and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, the world does not know about, does not understand, does not care about. You're never going to get asked about those things uh, whenever you're on an interview with uh, somebody like CBS for 60 Minutes. Uh, but then there are the issues that come into the Southern Baptist Convention from the culture at large, and the culture at large takes great interest in that. Uh, so the, uh, the folks at CBS had decided before the Anaheim meeting and before the election that they were going to reach out to all of the presidential candidates and, um, and, and arrange for an exclusive interview with the new Southern Baptist president, whomever that might be. And um, I agreed to that, as did Tom, and I assume Robin uh, Hathaway agreed to that also. And then I was elected, and they reached out and said, okay, we want to, uh, we want to do this interview. And the, the program's called 60 Minutes, and they have three segments every time. And so that's 20 minutes per segment. But you have to take out the advertising uh, out of that. And then also the, uh, whoever the correspondent is who, uh, who leads the, the segment does an introduction and then sort of a wrap-up at the end. And so um, it's less than 15 minutes that you wind up with uh, showing up in the piece. And, uh, yeah, we, we sat in our church sanctuary for four hours uh, and talked about a whole host of things. Uh, the, the primary subjects that we wound up talking about, again, are things that really the culture touches upon. Uh, we talked about uh, sexual abuse uh, in 2017. Uh, the Houston Chronicle uh, released its... Uh, uh, abuse of Faith series uh, about sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, that's been a topic of some interest since that time. Um, in 2022, when I was elected, that was the the year that prior to that, uh, the uh, the messengers in Nashville, Tennessee, had voted to ask for an independent investigation of the SBC Executive Committee. Uh, with regard to its handling of sex abuse cases. And that report was being released as we were on the way into Anaheim. And so the information in that report was new uh, when I did this interview. And so they were curious about that. They wanted to know about my beliefs about that. It's a very important issue that the SBC faces. They also wanted to know about the SBC's stance on what a lot of people would call culture war issues. Um, so they asked me what we believe about homosexuality. They asked me what we believe about women serving as pastors. They asked me, uh, they could have, but did not ask me what we believed about divorce. Uh, I wound up talking about what we believe about divorce, uh, when we were talking about what we believe about homosexuality. And, um, but then the thing that they wanted to talk about perhaps more than anything else was Donald Trump. <laughs> and they wanted to talk about voting patterns in the SBC, and they wanted to talk about how I had voted in 2016 and how I had voted in 2020 and what I thought about January 6th and what I thought about the legitimacy of the 2020 election. And, and over and over, they wanted to know how I would vote in 2024 if it were a rematch between President Biden and President Trump. And um, so um, all of those... 
are issues that that you'll find some difference of opinion about in the Southern Baptist Convention about exactly how to respond to sexual abuse or about um, how it is that we should handle uh, questions like, well, there's not a lot of difference opinion about how to handle questions about homosexuality or about women who are pastors. It's pretty uniform in the SBC about that. But um, but but how to handle secular politics, what to do about um, you know about figures like President Biden and President Trump, how how to address that. All of those things are certainly um, live questions that get a lot of interest within the SBC. But then there are other issues that are more internal for us uh, that, uh, you know, right now uh, we're talking about sort of the intersection between uh, women as pastors and how to apply that to the fact that church staffs have grown and some people have started using the word pastor to describe people in positions that no one thought of as pastoral before. Uh, there's a church that has a social media pastor, uh, and that's their full responsibility, just man- managing social media stuff. Uh, they don't preach. They don't administer the Lord's Supper. They don't go do hospital visits. They don't do any of those things. They, they, just, do, they just manage social media for the church, and they're called a pastor. And so um, the, the question about uh, feminism, or what we would talk about as egalitarianism versus complementarianism, uh, the world cares about that because it connects in with feminism. But the idea about pastor and elder and overseer and what those words mean and what roles that applies to and what roles it doesn't apply to, man, 60 Minutes could not possibly care less about that. But it's important for Southern Baptists. Things like local church autonomy, very important for Southern Baptists. When you start talking about uh, the idea of um, the authority of Scripture and biblical inerrancy. That's something that's very important to Southern Baptists that arises out of our doctrine. When you start uh, talking about uh, churches that are planted and the way they practice baptism and the way they practice the Lord's Supper or even other churches in the Southern Baptist Convention who aren't church plants but just members of the SBC and the way they handle those ordinances or or what's good preaching? Should it be expository preaching, or is it topical preaching? Or all of those things are things that um, that are that are questions that you can find sometimes some difference of opinion on in the SBC that the world could not care less about all of that. Mm-hmm. And I'd say our major uh, issues that we're working on, the ones that really rise to the top right now, are sexual abuse response in the SBC, and also a lot of people are uh, concerned about uh, egalitarianism, complementarianism. There's an amendment to the Constitution that's proposed this year from a man named Mike Law that was uh, modified by uh, a man named Juan Sanchez. So that Law-Sanchez amendment uh, is is another substantial issue that the SBC is looking at this time. And then also, um, there are some motions uh, that are coming to the annual meeting uh, this year in some form or another that ask questions about how our entities disclose uh, financial information. So uh, non-religious uh, charitable organizations have to complete, and even some 
religious ones that are not church-related uh, have to complete what's called an IRS Form 990. And uh, so there have been people who've been asking, well, why don't our entities uh, provide that information as well? And so uh, some of these, they're just internal questions, but they're very significant uh, for, for the internal operations of the convention. So simple stuff. Yeah. Um, just a lot of, lot of information there, a lot of things that people probably don't realize. There's also all these, these accusations, and this might bleed over into the third question, what would you want Southern Baptists to know and, and church members to know from your vantage point? But I, I think, too, you know, the minute um, I, I got on the field here, I started hearing from other pastors in the community or other people, well, you know, the, the convention has gone woke. And that's a hard term to define. Um, some people would say it's woke because they're trying to push for women pastors, which obviously that is not the case. And you just mentioned the law. I'm assuming that's Mike Law Jr. and Juan Sanchez. They're Capitol Hill guys. And that they're going to push for the right biblical stance. Are there people in the convention that disagree? Probably. But I don't think you could ever get Baptists to agree on everything anywhere <laughs> at any time. There's always going to be disagreements. There's always going to be those people that are out there. But there's that, you know, the the issue of women pastors, the woke, the critical race theory. I, I heard pastors make comments publicly on Twitter Former Southern Baptist pastors, it's a cesspool. I'm so glad I'm out of this because it's just a cesspool. And, of course, their members hear that and preach that and text me, hey, did you see what my pastor wrote about what you're in? And you're in a cesspool, and what are you guys going to do about that? And members come up to me as a pastor and say, well, you know, I've heard from my friend over here who goes over here that the convention has gone woke and liberal and what are we going to do and you know i made the comment well, we're an autonomous independent local church it, it, we do whatever we decide to do we're going to stick with scripture so you know i'm saying that what are those issues i know you face all that backlash as well would you say you feel good about the convention at this point or would you say no yeah it's a burning house I think the way I'm going to answer that question is just to say to your listeners um, who don't know me, you probably don't care what my opinion is about it. So why don't I just give some data that might be helpful for that? Uh, last year we met in New Orleans. Uh, we had two churches that were recommended to be excluded from the Southern Baptist Convention uh, because they had women who were serving as pastors. One of them was famous with a popular author, Rick Warren, at Saddleback Church in California. The other one was somebody probably most had never heard of, Linda Popham, uh, from Fern Creek Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Not a megachurch, not a best-selling author, not somebody who's prayed at inaugurations. And, um, and I think it's amazing how even-handedly the convention voted according to not personalities or celebrity worship or uh, uh, one was a man, one was a woman who was coming to argue the case for a church that had women who were serving. Um, and, uh, and yet 90% of the SBC's messengers voted to exclude those churches because they had women serving as pastors. Uh, I don't think 
anyone at the University of California, Berkeley, a very left-leaning institution, would look at an institution that votes 90 to 10 to hold the line on men serving as pastors, they would ever look at an institution like that and say, it's going woke, Mm -hmm. Uh, far from it. Uh, We did, uh, people will point out that we adopted a resolution, resolution number nine from 2019, uh, that talked about critical race theory and intersectionality. And that resolution said that these things were bad and unbiblical, but that they, just like a broken clock is right twice a day, that you, that you might find something in them uh, that could teach you something along the way. So that's how warm-hearted of an embrace it was of CRT. Uh, and even that was too much. Uh, that was adopted by the messengers. Um, I think most people could say what I could say, and I consider myself a decently educated man. But until that meeting, and even during the time of that meeting, if you had asked me what critical race theory was, I would have guessed that it had something to do with my cousin Chowhound's evaluation of the last NASCAR uh, event that happened somewhere mm-hmm. close to us. I'd never heard of critical race theory. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true for a lot of Southern Baptists who voted on that resolution about something that they'd never heard about. But that's not the case now. And I think as Southern Baptists have been more educated about that, it's, uh, it's, it's clear in a year when people at universities are protesting in support of Hamas who shot babies and blew their bodies in two and took hostages and, and all that sort of thing, when you see people who have subscribed to critical race theory unable to call that evil because of the narrative they have in their mind that, uh, well, they could do whatever they wanted and it would be okay because they're the oppressed and they're acting against the oppressors. And so um, Southern Baptists react with support for Israel and revulsion against that kind of thinking. And uh, so Not only would I not say that the convention is going woke, I would say that a group of people who barely knew what CRT was now know more about CRT. And that's probably true for most of the people in your congregation, Mark, who not very many years ago had never heard of critical race theory and intersectionality. And so Southern Baptists, as they've become more educated on this topic and have seen the results of it, uh, I think have grown further away from considering anything like that over the last few years. So, um, so, so you can you can just see that in measured responses in in polls that measure the responses of Southern Baptists to things like the Hamas attacks last year uh, that that show what what Southern Baptists think about critical race theory and intersectionality. Uh, so. With, with data points, I think I can show that the Southern Baptist Convention is not going woke. Uh, we're a Baptist body with millions of people in it. Uh, I conducted a survey uh, in which I asked people online, this was before I was president, I asked people online their opinions about critical race theory, 
And what's interesting was the part in which you asked people what it was. What is critical race theory? And the definitions were all over the map. And some of the things that I had friends saying, this is what critical race theory is. It's the idea that if you're white, you're guilty no matter what. Almost nobody agreed with that who said that they had open thoughts towards CRT. So a tiny minority said that they weren't against CRT. And those people, all but like one or two, said, oh, I wouldn't think, I wouldn't say that people are guilty of stuff because they're white or that, or that systemic racism embeds every part of American society or all that sort of thing. So, um, so anyway, the, the charges that the Southern Baptist Convention embraced critical race theory, I'd say at first Southern Baptist Convention did not know what it was. And then now I would say the Southern Baptist Convention, being better educated, thoroughly rejects uh, anything like the sort of ideas that could make people look at what happened in Israel and think that was not just okay, good. Think that it was good that the Hamas terrorists did what they did. You feel like there's good integrity at the top. Well, um, you're asking me about the top of an organization that had somebody who had lied on his resume revealed just not very long ago to be occupying an important position in the SBC. Uh, which that was dealt with. That was dealt with. Uh, you know, what I would say is, generally, Bart's thesis of all things, what's happening in our local churches bubbles up into the Southern Baptist Convention. You could look around almost any local church and find people who lack integrity in important ways. Don't we have scandals come out among the memberships of our churches uh, where you discover that somebody who was long respected in the church has been committing adultery or you discover that a beloved pastor somewhere has been lifting money out of the till and um, what we've been saying to the lost people that we've been trying to invite invite to a relationship in christ for years and years we've been saying to them yes we live in a sinful fallen world and there are some hypocrites in churches, and there are some people who have uh, done scandalous things in churches, but it's really about Christ and the gospel and about the the miraculous fact is that we have, it's not surprising that we have some people who don't have integrity. It's surprising that we have people who do have integrity, that churches are filled with people who are with conviction and piety serving the Lord Jesus day in and day out with whatever means they have. And I'm here to tell you that the Southern Baptist Convention, not just at the local church level, but beyond that, is full of people just like that. Look at the integrity of people who put on a yellow cap and a yellow jacket and go into a tornado zone and do disaster relief to minister to people. Look at the integrity of people like that. Look at the integrity of missionaries who will go to the most dangerous parts of the earth and will risk their lives and the lives of their children to share the gospel in places where Jesus is unnamed. And look at the integrity of trustees who find out about somebody who lied on his resume and disclose the truth to everyone and end his employment and put in place practices to to do better checks in the future to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, 
So there are grievous lapses in integrity that happen sometimes in the Southern Baptist Convention, just like they happen sometimes in our local churches. But I have encountered uh, a, a body of people trying to give leadership to the Southern Baptist Convention who uh, overwhelmingly have good integrity and are many times just trying to solve very difficult problems in a world that's sinful and moving further away from Christ every day and are trying to do that with the best wisdom that they can find. Hmm. That's a good answer. Well, thirdly, let's go to this question for you from your vantage point. Sitting in the seat of the presidency, you've seen things, you've been a part of things that I will not be a part of or have seen, the average member will not be a part of or have seen. What would you like Southern Baptists to know, church members, maybe if they're Baptist or not, to know um, from, from your vantage point? And I bring that up because you and I were talking uh, at lunch today, and you were saying that that the CBS News crew was kind to you when they came and interviewed you, and they were people of professionalism and integrity, and that even Anderson Cooper, who is a a forthright homosexual uh, person in the media, he he was very. Uh, gracious and, and kind as an individual to you and very professional and you made a comment you said I wish some of the Southern Baptist would be as kind as the CBS crew was to me you face or is dedicated to the truth or is dedicated uh, to the to truth. accuracy and reporting yeah yeah you faced an onslaught of people who have just slandered on social media Twitter face page whatever they've gone out there i know some of the people we we know some of the people together stirred up contention what amazed me in nashville and i was in new orleans as well but what amazed me in nashville is when all that contention was going on if you read the news feeds you would have thought that a revolution was taking place and we were doing boston tea party type things if you were present, you would have not even known it was that bad. And I remember uh, in, in Nashville up front, there's a huge section, and it was this way in New Orleans and, and everywhere else, where the media is just sitting. There's like a, a box at the front where the media sits, and they're recording every word that you guys are saying. They're waiting. So some local church pastor guy from the middle of nowhere gets up and he has every right to make a resolution, which is non-binding on a local church. It's just a resolution. Now, he can make the resolution. It doesn't mean that it's going to be ratified. So he gets up and makes some crazy resolution from the microphone publicly, and the media just seizes on it. It's not been ratified. It's not binding to the local church. But, oh boy, that's what we're going to talk about on the news line tonight. Southern Baptist embrace blank. So I saw that happening at the convention, and I thought, okay, that's the age we live in. It's just a result of the media presence of where we are, and you're you're experiencing that. And I just kind of want you to touch on that. What would you like them to know 
We've talked about the integrity that you think is there. I thought that was a brilliant answer. We've talked about the issues. I thought you did a good job with that. But but, but what about the way we're, we're treating each other? Yeah. Um, so I think that Christians, above everyone else, have reason and opportunity to be joyful and hopeful. And sometimes what we say online is fearful and pessimistic. And I wonder why that is. Um, uh, Are we being discipled more by other sources than we are by our churches uh, in some ways? Um, And to be joyful and hopeful as a Christian is not to deny one single terrible thing that's happening in the world around us. It's just to look at all of that and still say, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And so I remain optimistic um, uh, even about people who are, um, who are currently um, perhaps acting as though I'm the greatest enemy that Southern Baptists have ever had. Um, in some cases, I look at some of those coalitions and say, Y'all were saying the same thing about each other 10 years ago. And 10 years from now, uh, we may be locked in arms together on some other issue. Uh, it's the same way in church life. Uh, you know, you may, uh, you may, a local church may have some debate about, uh, to take one of the famous trivialities, what color the, cur- the carpet's going to be, or uh, about whether we once... We once had a meeting go nearly an hour talking about whether we should get round tables or rectangular tables uh, that we were going to purchase for our fellowship hall area. And, um, you know, you can be in a position where you're divided on that question, and then another question comes up two years from now, and, um, and, and you're together on that. The same things happen in local churches. If you write off people the moment that you disagree with them about something, in the end, your list will be empty of people that you are united with. And so we have to show each other some, some graciousness in being able to disagree and to be able to disagree forcefully and not take that as a forever uh, ban of fellowship or anything like that. Um, we're learning from the world when we're learning to mischaracterize people and treat them as though they are, um, as though they are irredeemably wicked. And um, it's easy for me to fall into that, just like it's easy for anybody else to fall into that. We just got to be careful about that. I think there are uh, a couple of things that I would say that make me joyful and optimistic about the Southern Baptist Convention. The first one is that it is so evident that the Holy Spirit of God moves in our work and in our meetings. Um, you're right. Uh, go to an SBC annual meeting. It feels nothing like Twitter. Not no resemblance at all. And instead, you have sweet, godly people who are coming together. And I, you know, I always feel confident making this prediction. Uh, Ten years from now, if Jesus doesn't come back between now and then, the Southern Baptist Convention will be fighting. But we will be fighting about different things than what we're fighting about now because year after year after year, the Holy Spirit of God moves 
to resolve that year's questions and let us move on to a different set of questions the next year. And there's reason to trust the Spirit's work in that way. And that's not only, God's not only at move, on the move in our decision making, but he's also on the move in our missionary work and our disaster relief work, our church planning work, our theological education work. I felt that. Uh, uh, Southwestern Seminary will forever be a dear and precious place to me because God moved in my heart to mature me in so many ways while I was there. And I'm so thankful for his movement through that ministry. So the first thing I would say is this, if you're looking for perfection, you'll not find it in the Southern Baptist Convention, nor anywhere else, nor in your local church, nor anywhere else. What I'm looking for is to see, is the Spirit of God still dealing with people? If that's true in your local church, then you can be joyful and optimistic uh, that, that the that the most annoying sinner uh, in your congregation, if the Spirit of God is at work in their life and is moving, then Romans 15 says that we're supposed to bear with the weaknesses of one another uh, and, to, and to please our brother for his edification for, so he can grow, so he can continue to grow under the work of the Holy Spirit. And then the second thing that I would say is that the Southern Baptist Convention and the Southern Baptist Convention's related entities exist to do good things for your church. Uh, the, the mission statements for every one of them is to assist the churches to do something or other. And I think that the Southern Baptist Convention is at work right now to assist us in all the ways that we've needed for a long time. Uh, uh, you know, Baptists started sending missionaries in response to Adoniram Judson, who had not been a Baptist, who went off to, to India uh, and heading to Burma to be a Congregationalist missionary, but he convinced himself of Baptist belief on the boat studying the Greek New Testament uh, while he was making that long ship voyage all the way from New England to India. And Baptists had not ever really even thought about supporting missionaries. And suddenly they had a Baptist missionary that they did not educate, did not lead to Christ, did not, uh, did not uh, nurture in a calling to missions. Uh, and suddenly he just showed up and said, I'm Baptist now and I'm a missionary. Would you support me? And Baptists, through a friend of Adoniram Judson's name, Luther Rice, Baptists hastily cobbled together uh, some state convention networks uh, to try to put together support for him. And that's not the way it happens anymore for Southern Baptists. When somebody in Broadway Baptist Church is called by God to go to the mission field, Southern Baptists are already ready for them to do that. We have everything in place to train those people, to help them find God's calling to a specific place of service, to pack up their stuff and send them across the world, to teach them a new language, to teach them a new culture, and to help them to be effective as missionaries. How long would it take your church, if you've never sent anybody to do anything like mm. that, to figure out all of that on your own? Mm. But the Southern Baptist Convention exists so that when, when God does that in your church and calls somebody out, you have a partner that you can call who will say, we're ready, and we know how to take care of that for you. So we're doing that for all the needs that we've had all along. When you, 
when when you find yourself, you know, when the time comes that First Baptist Farmersville won't let me do this anymore and say you're too old, um, and they're looking for a new pastor, Southern Baptists are training that person right now, probably. And they're assisting the church to be able to have a supply of people who are equipped and ready to share the gospel and do pastoral ministry. And we're also assisting churches in things that we didn't know that we needed 10 years ago, necessarily. You can, Southern Baptists, you can go to Southern Baptist conferences that will talk about church security to protect your church from an active shooter. We didn't talk about that when I went to seminary. Mark, I don't think that you talked about that when you went to seminary. But it's something churches have to think about now. And the Southern Baptist Convention is there to assist you with that. And also uh, the, the profound needs that we have with regard to sexual abuse. Southern Baptists are working to meet three needs that I can identify. One, uh, you're inviting volunteers and you're hiring staff to work with some of the most precious people in your life, your children, your grandchildren. How do you know for sure that they're safe? And so we're, we're able to train churches on best practices for preventing abuse by screening volunteers and screening people who are going to be hired and by creating policies that cause you to reduce the area of your exposure to abuse. The second thing is there are people in your church, wherever you go to church, who are survivors of sexual abuse. I mean, the ratios are one in one in three, I think, women is a survivor of sexual, sexual abuse. Not at church, necessarily, but somewhere. And one in six men. So um, how's your church going to minister to people like that? And if, God forbid, it should happen that after all your screening and prevention work and policies, something like that happens in your church, how do you take care of the people who've been victims of that? And also, how do you take care of your church who are traumatized and scandaled by what just happened? And how do you know what to do that helps instead of hurts? And the Southern Baptist Convention is working to answer that. And then the third problem that Southern Baptists have is because of something that we care about very much, our autonomy, um, we don't have any hierarchy like Catholics or Methodists or whatever. Um, and if our church discovers somebody who is dangerous in terms of abuse and they leave here, how can we help warn other churches that we care about? Uh, because these predators take advantage of our autonomous structure and think, well, you know, what if I just move from here to Alabama? Nobody from Mississippi is going to know the people from Alabama, and I can just slip off down there and I can do this again. And there are ways without violating, violating our autonomy, without putting anybody over Baptist churches, that we can just help one Baptist church get a warning out to any other Baptist church that would think about using that person as a volunteer in Sunday school or hiring that person. And so as new challenges arise for your church, I don't know what the thing is that our church is going to need assistance with 20 years from now. But I do know that the Southern Baptist Convention is a group of churches like yours that are watching for what these challenges are 
and are working to try to make sure that we can all be as equipped as possible to minister in a difficult age. Well, that's fantastic, brother, and, and that's good news to know. And any Baptist or any church member hearing that ought to be encouraged that the work goes forward. And there's there's good things that are happening. No one's perfect. We've all got things to work on, but we cooperate together for the sake of the gospel. Amen. And spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, Bart, we are so thankful that you took time out of your busy schedule coming back from Nashville to stop in here in South Haven and that you're going to speak to our church tonight and to pastors tomorrow at our breakfast and that you're just kind enough to do that. Thank you for uh, being relatable and personable and offering yourself. I know you gave up time with your family. Your son's 21st birthday is Monday and uh, you know you're here uh, with us. And so we're grateful for that. And I am continuing to pray for you. What I told you on the phone that day in July, 2022, when you called me, I said, brother, I'm praying for you. And I am, and I have been because, uh, you bear some responsibility on a national platform to represent uh, Baptist. And it's gotta be a little nerve wracking just a little bit, but not some, ne- days. some days, but not nearly as nerve wracking as having cows like Lottie, <laughs> moon right <laughs> that's and, right uh, and bully graham and all the other cows that uh make up the whole system and i rumor has it brother that uh your cow uh annie armstrong or what is her name annie farmstrong farmstrong that uh her birth uh the last few years the annie armstrong offering has been more than it's ever been and do we attribute <laughs> it to her entirely entirely 100 yes, of course amazing so what are they going to do when you're out of office and you're no longer naming cows will the next southern baptist mega church pastor also get a cow and name it after a hero well i'll tell you this annie and i will still be with the southern baptist convention long after i'm no longer president very so. very good very good well on that note we'll end this edition of footnotes we thank you dr barber for being with us our president right now of the southern baptist convention and on that note we will see you next week and that's another episode of our podcast footnotes we drop our podcast each friday so be sure to tune in check us out and listen footnotes is a ministry of broadway baptist church located in south haven mississippi we're located right outside of the metro memphis area you can learn more about us by visiting us online at broadwaychurch.org Until next time, it's Footnotes.